Welcome to Any Given Chance Podcast. Stories about passion and sacrifice. What actually goes on behind the scenes in the consistent chase of everything. We're going to bring you some untold stories. Some of people you know, some of people you don't. These stories that we bring on with our guests are nothing short of inspiring and will get you out there chasing your own goals as well. Join me, your host, 3AM365, Maddie Menon, as we dive into these incredible stories. And of course, as the podcast grows, so do we together. So stick with us from the start, hit that like and share, subscribe button, get your family and friends involved, and we'll see where we are in 100 podcasts. No days off, no excuses. Massive shout out to our sponsor, Squad Athletica. Guys, this training gears, you've got the training singlets, the shirts, they've got absolutely everything. They've got the 12-inch shorts, the 16, everything that you need for the running. It doesn't stop there. They've got yoga mats, they've got drink bottles, they've got you covered at all bases. I'm telling you, this training gear is rivaling Nike, it's rivaling Under Armour, it's at the forefront. And the best thing about it is it's right here on the Gold Coast. So it's a supportable local business. You can jump over to their Instagram, it's at SQD Athletica. Or you can jump online and check out their shop, Squad Athletica. Go through, select your little things, what you want to buy, new hoodies for winter, whatever training gear you need, and then type in your AGC code at the end, which will give you a little discount. That's AGC in the little coupon code. Can't thank you enough and make sure you get out there and get in your squad gear. Big shout out to one of our sponsors, Black Rose Barbers. That's right. Go see Liam and the boys over at Black Rose Barbers. They're located on Lakeview Boulevard over at Mermaid Waters, right in between the Good Life and the 7-Eleven. Walk out of there feeling a million bucks. The boys can cut hair and he even does the cutthroat razor if you want to feel really fresh and fit on a Friday. You can book online at blackrose.com or you can get on the phone and give them a call, but go support your local business. And the best thing about Black Rose Barber, you can sit in that chair and talk maximum amount of crap. You know why? Because the boys have got the answers. They'll solve the world's problems with you. I'm telling you now, they're a bunch of legends. Go support them. Tell them Matty from AGC sent you. Boom. That's it. We're live. Any given chance. Welcome my man from the queen, from <laughs> God's country. Thank you for bringing us here. I'm a convict. Kyle Lomas. How you going, brother? I'm all right, bro. How are you doing? Mate, sensational. Look, you're the epitome of what this podcast is about, just the absolute, well, how could you say it? Just perseverance of not taking no for an answer. <laughs> now, we're going to go on a journey, mate, basically share your whole story of how you got out to Australia and actually what you're doing now here. For people who don't know, Kyle's from the Pommy land of England, over what parts? I'm from Manchester, so it's northwest of England. So from Manchester over in there, growing up on the streets... Basically. It was rough, man. It was rough. And you've made your way to Australia and basically what Kyle does now, he's in all the nightclubs all through the Gold Coast with flashback media, but we'll get to that stage. Mate, just give us a little touch base. What was your child? What was your upbringing like over there in Manchester? Nothing like uh, the sunny beaches of the yeah, Gold Coast. It's, it's rough, mate. Nothing like this place. I'll start from the beginning. Really, I'm not so supposed to be here. It's just by off chance that I'm here. It's, uh, my dad used to be a doorman working on the doors and that's how he met me, Auntie Brenda. Now, my auntie, she was married at the time and they started like a little affair going on. Obviously, my dad falling in love with her, wanted her to leave her husband and take yeah, kids yeah. And, and all that thing. And uh, my auntie, apparently, so it goes, she's turned around and said, it's just a bit of fun, blah, blah, blah. He took the um, went and banged the sister. That was my mum. I was a one night stand, <laughs> apparently conceived over an armchair. And that's it. And that's how I'm here. So <laughs> technically, I'm not even supposed to be here. But, I, mean? oh, I haven't even heard, I haven't heard that story. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Just the old, uh, yeah, okay. Get some token revenge. I'll yeah, bang so the sister. And- obviously, my mum found out she was pregnant. Told my dad. My dad's like, didn't want nothing to do with it. Wanted yeah. my mum to get an abortion. Mum was like, sat that, I'm keeping it. You owe me money every week. He went paying it. He fucked off. He went and lived abroad. Funnily enough, he started selling pictures in, I think it was Greece or something like that. He was selling Polaroid pictures from a camera on the street. That's how he made his money. And it's just, I ended up doing that later on in life. Right. It's in the blood. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the blood. Yeah. Oh, Pretty fucked up. That's all right. So, mum's kept you. So that's a plus. Yeah. That's, mom, that's yeah, your first win in life. Like, I'm the only child to my mum. I give her a lot of shit growing up. So that's probably why I am the only child. Don't need two of you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, and so like from then on, obviously my mum struggled. She was only 20. 
She's worked, she was claiming benefits, working on the side, doing anything that she could. I remember just getting my clothes from like, you know, like a skip, like a, a dumpster, you know, where everyone sends the clothes. Yeah, like the lifeline. Re- yeah, the yeah. recycle. So me and everybody, our family used to get in there in the middle of the night, break into the things and take all the clothes. And that's how we was all clothed like yeah. back in the day. Sort through them. She used to fiddle the gas meter and electric meter because back then it was easy to break the meter and get free gas and free electric. So she used to do that regularly. My auntie used to break into old old houses, take the gas meter from that house and replace it with their gas meter just so they could get free gas. It's just things like that. Like did everything that we could just to get by. Just to get by, just yeah. to survive. And I think that's where the mentalities come from with me as well. Watching my mum and the rest of my family just doing whatever they could, whether it was breaking the law or not. is just had to do what you had to do. I battle with that. So not saying that I had a hard upbringing. I had a great upbringing on the beach and everything like that, but we didn't grow up, you know, with much. If you wanted a surfboard, it was mow the lawn 50 times. You yeah. know, that's how you bought a surfboard. And same thing, first surfboard was a hundred buck one out of the thing. Billabong board, if we wanted some brand board shorts, you know, my parents get me that once a year, probably because I used to lose shit and trash it and anything with value, you know, went out the window. So we would either steal the badges off old shorts and sew them onto our other board shorts and yeah. go, yeah, look, I've got a pair of billabong boardies, yeah. you know? But that whole upbringing and, yeah, and do well, what needs to be done. This would probably blow your mind. Like in England, you have to have a TV license to watch TV. What? So, yeah, so you have to have a license to watch TV. You have to pay it every year. Back when I was younger, black and white TVs were free to watch. So you didn't have to have a license to watch a black and white TV. So my mum always had a black and white TV in the back bedroom and she would have a colour TV. And if you're not paying your license, you get a guy coming round with a clipboard and a suit and knocking on your door and it's like, why have you not got a license? I've come to inspect your property. And they've got to come in your house and see what kind of set you're watching. Obviously, my mum, she uh, had a black and white TV in the back bedroom. So every time we get a knock, she'll look out the window, see it's the TV man, run into the bedroom, get the black and white TV, put it in the living room and take the colour one into the bedroom. They're not allowed in your bedroom. They just got to come into your living room. So they used to do that regular. That's what my mum used to do, just to get away from not paying that license. Mate, what about if that's your job? What did you do for a living for 30 years? Yeah, I just went around and uh, inspected if people had color TVs or black TVs. Everyone was doing it. Who in their right mind came up with that idea? I know what we're going to do. We're going to tax TVs like good old England, eh? They got yeah, the best of it. So. Yeah, no, they rape you for everything over there, honestly. Uh, but yeah, like... Just touching base back on the, um, you know, doing what needs to be done. Like I say that I battle with that sort of situation now with my boy with Sonny. You're saying that's sort of the reason why you are who you are now and so, you know, resilient and have so much perseverance. I wonder there about that, about Sonny. Like, how do I teach him that? Do I make him pay in kilometers or push ups or training? Like, we had to fight for what, and it just made me hungry and want to do things. But he's already got three surfboards over there, two skateboards, two bikes, a trampoline out the back. Not that he's going to, be a brat or anything a kid but i'm just trying to figure that out as a parent how do we make this kid want or be hungry or you know have that drive i just think it's down to the area that you grow up in what i witnessed growing up and what everybody else was doing there's nothing you can do about it obviously he's got a good life out here if i'd grown up out here i'd totally be a different person you know like mentally and probably physically as well you know yeah i'd look better (laughs) a little bit more of a tan on you as well (laughs) yeah yeah so i just think it's down to where you've been brought up determines what kind of person you're going to become. Well, I did name him Sonny and he has got three surfboards. So if he doesn't grow up to be a professional surfer. Well, there um, you go. I'll just live my dreams (laughs) through him. (laughs) That's what you're doing, kid. Where I've grown up, there's not much opportunity. There's very little to do. I'm on a rough council estate in Manchester. Yeah, I look out the window. We was playing with our bicycles with smack needles on the curbside. We was playing around on the streets watching our friend's mum getting puffing gas on the steps you know outside a door and uh, it's just that's what we were witnessing as, yeah. as kids and but you are a product of your surrounding like you said look that just would have hardened every kid around you which made you there was no backward step you got the town bully and you got to step up otherwise you yeah well, fights every day man yeah. I, like i used to get in fights all the time with the best mates now do you know but as kids we always used to fight and i used to be in a little tough nut and I used to get mates, mums used to go, give me a pound and go, go and beat Curtis up for us or, you know, go and beat this lad up. That's what I used to do. Just take the money off him and run over and just start beating him up because they'd been bullying some other kid on the street. And that was our entertainment. And parents used to watch it, like watch kids fight. Mate, it's a different. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, that's another level, I, isn't I, it? I used to get beaten up as a kid up until about six years old. And my mum, she was my father as well. And she was, get back out there and punch him in his face. This is what you do. Do you know what I mean? Instilled that into me. Like if someone starts it, you finish it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So that's the kind of person my mum was. Like she wouldn't take no shit. Because she understood that that was your environment. That yeah. was where you were at. There was no cuddling and kissing and oh, I'll tell the teacher like Well, was- everyone had brothers and sisters. So when I'd twat someone, they'd be like, oh, I'm going getting my brother. I'm going getting my oh, sister. I'm like, fuck. well, I'm going getting my mum. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I didn't have anybody. It was just my mum. Like, and I'd run in and my mum were like, well, get back out there and do him. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, oh, man. That was on the streets of Manchester coming up. And basically, where did it transition from there? You know, continued on high school. What was it like breaking out of school? I know that sort of environment ends up. It goes one or two ways, you know, some people make it, disappear that, and then the others just like continue in that survival badass sort of mode. So Yeah, I got through primary school, infant school, whatever, high school come around. And that's when you just started being exposed to everybody smoking weed and other kind of drugs. And I think year nine, it started going a bit downhill for me. Just a natural progression like of that environment, like what you said. Like I started it- smoking weed a lot, like everyone was doing it and I'd rather skip school and go and smoke weed with mates, that's what I'd rather do, do you know what I mean? So It was the 90s, Snoop was everywhere, and <laughs> that's all you see. There was still ads back then, yeah. remember the ads they used to do, oh, this is your brain on normal and this is your brain on weed, and it's like a fried egg, and now we know it couldn't be anything more or less yeah, of the yeah. truth. Like It was the worst drug in the world. Weed. I mean, come 13, 14 years old, we're smoking weed and robbing cars, like, that's just, how I learned to drive, just taking other people's cars. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just popping them off and you're all right, let's go. So, yeah. so from there, look, what did you end up getting into? Like, did you start working or what was your... At 13, the first work experience was just a paper round. Guy at the paper shop had paid me £6 to do a round every Saturday. So yeah. I just used to earn that. And that was my pocket money for cigarettes through school and that. Transitioned into that. What about after school? Where'd you get to? After school, it was just the usual shit. Go around to my mates, smoke weed, board. Go and rob some I'd stay at his for the weekend and we'd go and break into people's sheds because we wanted money for weed. Break into people's sheds, take lawnmowers, trimmers, whatever you want, you know what I mean? And go and sell it to the drug dealer and he'll give us weed for it. We did that a few times and I know yeah. it's wrong when looking back, like, but as kids, we didn't give a fuck, man. Yeah. Especially when you're at that bottom level. Yeah. Like it's that or it's zero. We'd stay up all night and pinch the milk off your doorstep. Like, <laughs> yeah. To have a- like, that's how bad it was. Mate, that's hectic. I think all I got to was taking a 50 cent coin out of mum's purse uh, <laughs> every morning. And uh, there used to be 50 cent jam donuts. You'd go for a surf all morning and then you'd come in, you get your 50 cent, you get your jam donut and cream and all that. And yeah. Yeah, then I started, um, mum had a 50 cent coin collection like over the years. Yeah. And it was like then one day I started dipping into that. Yep. And then I thought, oh, she's going to know. Like, she's going to know because there's certain years, you know. And then I end up having to go hunting. I think it was like for six, nine months to get the certain year. I wrote the years down like 1959, 50 cent piece yeah, or something yeah. like that. Desperate times, mate. I tell yeah. you what, I shit myself. From there, like, how did you end up getting out to Australia? Or were you doing any sort of media work back in England or what were you doing for work? When I left school, I worked to be a musician. I'd already like made plans to build my own studio. I got some compensation when I was 18. I think it was only two and a half grand, thousand pound. I just went out and bought all the recording equipment that I needed, the mixer, the computer, the keyboard, everything that I needed to make music. Because I met a guy when I was 16 or 17. I met him and he worked at a youth club and he was from Sierra Leone in Africa and he'd come to England for a free music course. And prior to meeting him, I never knew how music was made. And and when I met him, I heard about some guy was at a recording studio and like he's making music in this youth club. And it's a youth club that we used to attend when we were kids anyway. So I just walked in there. I met the guy and he's in the back room. And he's, they built this proper big studio. I got to meet him and, and then I realized how music was made. And I told him about the money that I was going to be getting like next year. Is there any possible chance that you could help me? If I give you the money, just help me build a studio for me. And he did do. And we went out that day. As soon as I got the money, or everything that I needed, and that was it. For the next two years, I spent most of my time in the bedroom, just learning and teaching myself how to make music. And back then, there was no YouTube to say, hey, this is how you put it all together. It's like, you're yeah, on your not own. really. No, so my mum never even 
bothered with the internet or mum, can we get Wi-Fi? No, no chance. Like, you know, it's just like, didn't have internet in the house. So I basically had to learn myself. And obviously I had O2 as well. He used to come around and he'd teach me how to do things. And eventually I'd, I progressed to literally making my own music. Like it sounded good. And then I found out about a music course at university and I never even thought of doing it. I thought university had never even come into my life. But when I found out the course that they were teaching is like something I already know. The music programs that I'd already taught myself, they were already teaching. So I just went for the interview. I didn't have the grades from school to get onto the course, but I showed her a CD in the interview and she heard the CD and couldn't really deny me. You know, she basically said everything that you know, they're already teaching in the class. So you're well more far advanced than any student in there. So when I got onto the course, I basically ended up being a teacher for some of the students in there, showing them how to do things on the program. And that I was well more far advanced because they started from the bottom, like basics. And I don't, yeah. yeah, you've done two years. Of, I'd already done two or three years. Programmed in yeah. head. So that basically kept me out of trouble for a while. I did go out at the weekends, but I didn't work. I was on the dole all the time, just signing on and just staying at home because that's what I wanted to do. With the, with the youth allowance or whatever it was, like your university allowance or something. Yeah. What do they get over there in England? What, the dole? Yeah. Is that legit? Job seekers, I think it was like £80 every fortnight. £40 a week. £40 a week, yeah. So <laughs> it weren't that much. But I, live, I was living at my mum's at the time and obviously me staying at home all the time and got my mum's nurse for a bit because she was going work and she's like, get a job, get a job. And like, no, this is what I want to do. And she couldn't grasp the concept. Music is what I wanted to do. And yeah. all she cared about was just getting a job and getting money into the house. Yeah, what's next? Uh, so it caused a bit of a friction between her. And my mum likes to drink a lot as well. Didn't just I saying know? you do, do what she perceived as nothing was just, yeah. yeah. She's out there hard working. You're on the dole getting 40 pounds, playing music, thinking you're going to kill it and make it. Yeah. So where'd you end up from there? Like Obviously, the music didn't take off in the direction that you wanted it to. So... How'd you end up going after university or what? I guess what was the progression to you going, oh, fuck it, this ain't working. I'm going to Australia. Like, how did that all come about? I used to watch Home and Away and Neighbours with my mum when I was a kid. <laughs> and she, she always used to say to me, because we sit there, it, was, it just transported you to a different world. You know, I look out my window and it's fucking shit all. And then you look on the TV and it's just beaches and all that. So my mum always used to say to me, one day, son, we're going there. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Never even thought I'd actually be here. Do you know what I mean? It was the furthest thing from my mind to actually to go and live in another country. But when I uh, eventually left uni, I got my degree in music production. Shit went down the pan. The relationship between me and my mum, that was gone. I left home. I couch surfed from place to place. So just anyone that it would take you in basically or, or had a night to stay is like, yep, this is where I'm at for the night. I stayed at a friend's house. He put me up. Him and his mum put me up for a while. From then on, I went to live with my auntie. I was sleeping on a blow-up bed in the living room. Bought some weed because I got my student loan through. And my last student loan it was. So I went and bought an ounce of weed to make that money last me so I could keep selling it and selling it. And I was living at my auntie's house. I bought a new mobile phone and the mobile phone's it was the tiniest phone that I could find. I really enjoyed it. And I bought it that day and I went to sleep that night and I put it on charge and I'm playing with it as I'm in bed and then I've gone to sleep and I woke up in the morning and the phone's gone and the charger's still plugged in the wall. I woke up and I'm like, Auntie Brenda, have you seen my phone? She's in the kitchen and she was like, no, nah, I've not seen it. I was like, well, it was plugged in the wall last night. She's like, no, nah, I've not seen it, not seen it. So I'm searching everywhere for this phone. It was completely gone. So she was like, well, maybe someone's coming off the street. And like, she had a Rottweiler at the bottom of the stairs, like behind a cage. She said, maybe someone's walked past and come and took the phone and got off. What? Walked past the Rottweiler who barks at anybody. Do you know what I mean? I knew that was a lie. And then she's like, well, maybe you was that stoned last night. You don't know what you've done with it. The charger's still plugged in the wall, mate. I was playing with it before I went to sleep. So someone in the house had took my phone. And it was either my cousins or my auntie Brenda, do you know what I mean? So from that point, I was like, do you know what? If my, I'm going to come back tonight and if my phone's not here, you'll never see me again. Last time I ever seen her. Yeah, right. And that was 12, 13. What time, how old was I? 21. I'm 35 now. So yeah, it was that long ago. Packed up. See yeah, you later. Never seen her again. Cut the line. Yeah, so that 
I don't I don't like to point fingers, but at the end of the day, my phone's gone missing in my family's house. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Is that family? Yeah. That's the question going through. So that's that's basically it. So from then on, I literally had nowhere else to go. And my friend, he had um a caravan in his back garden. He said, Oh, you can rent the caravan for forty pounds a week because I had nowhere else to go and I, I didn't have a job and I didn't have the forty pounds a week. But I was like, right, yeah, I'll give you forty pounds a week for it. And he was like, sweet. So I went to the job center and I looked on the computer for jobs. And I seen nightclub photography. I was like, oh, I could do that. I went for the interview to the guy and I met him in this club. I walked in there with a tracksuit on. Anyway, went through the interview. And he Red tracksuit, Adidas, <laughs> everything you see from England. <laughs> <laughs> so cut long story short, went through the interview and he's like, well, I don't usually take people on who dressed in tracksuits and that. He said, but I reckon you could do the job. And I was like, I reckon I could do it. So that was it. I started that Friday. Basically, the job was taking pictures of people and giving people the opportunity to purchase their picture on a keychain, on a keyring. And you've got a printer in the club and you just print off the pictures, put them in the keychain and just give it to the person. And back then, I think they were selling them for £3 each. Turns out I was really good at the job. And I enjoyed it. It was like, because obviously I was having a shit time at home and in my life. And then to go into a, a club every weekend and enjoy myself and get pissed for free and just chat to girls. And it kept me going, you know. Because I don't know where my life was going at that point, and just give me something to look forward to Some every purpose, weekend. Yeah, yeah, like a bit of enjoyment. So, what was that? That was like Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights, or something. It was just Friday and Saturday nights, and um, the wages were thirty pound a night, so sixty pound for the weekend. Forty pound went to the caravan, left me with twenty pound. Twenty pound paid my bus fare. Well, ten, fifteen pound of it paid my bus fare there and back to the club. I was left with five pound for the rest of the week, so I used to buy a box of eggs and a loaf of bread a box of cereal and just have that through the week. And that's how I lived for a, quite a while. But eventually, like, didn't take me long to figure that I could do this myself. I was pulling in £300 a night for this guy and he was giving me £30 of it. I was like, I want my own £300 a night. Do you know what I yeah. mean? So I didn't have the money to buy the printer. I didn't have the money to buy anything. So I come up with a plan. But in the meantime, while I'm sat in this caravan, I'm chatting away to this girl on Plenty of Fish and she's like, oh, I want to come and stay with you. And I was like, yeah, I've got my own apartment. Come and meet me that night. I'm working. And so I brought a mate with me. She brought her mate. And I told her that I'm, I've got to work for the next couple of hours, but we'll leave early and we'll go back, back to mine. So she was like, right. So that was my plan for that night is to go there, make as much money as I could, take the camera, take the bag full of keychains because I didn't know where to get them from, take everything that I need. But with the money, I buy a printer. So that was the plan. And then come 12 o'clock, I made £170. Um, I took the gear. Come on, darling, let's go. Do you know what I mean? So we all went. I bought a bottle of vodka. We pulled up in a taxi outside where I was living. And she was like, oh, do you live here? I was like, yeah, just round the back. Well, at the time, I had a cat as well. I had a cat called Gypsy. I pinched the cat off the street because that cat kept me going. Like, if I didn't have that cat, I don't know. Like, it was coming up to Christmas. Like, Christmas Day, I spent in the caravan with the cat watching Oliver Twist and eating rubbed cat food and egg butties and it just kept me going just having yeah. that cat anyway we got to the caravan and we got around the back i said oh i live here and uh she was like bullshit and i was like I honestly i live in the lights on in the caravan and the cat's scratching at the door to get in like me and i said look that's my cat gypsy and she was like what you named your cat gypsy and i was like yeah anyway we got opened up the door and she could see that i was living in there the heating was on like the telly was on and that and that was it. She stayed for that night. I thought they were going to both leave and that because like, what the fuck's this? But they enjoyed it. Anyway, we're partying in the caravan and it got to like five o'clock in the morning and my mates got off with her mate. Yeah. And then we started getting it on. Like We're both bollock naked in the caravan and I hear this knock at the door. I'm like, who is it? And he goes, it's Rick. Now my boss knew I had a mate called Rick because I got him a job doing it. And when he said, Rick, I thought it was my mate. So I've just opened up the door. I'm like, what do you want? Next minute, it's Bagheads just jumped in with a baseball bat, started smashing shit up. And she started screaming on the bed, covering herself up. I'm bullet naked. And my boss, like, he's called Damien. And he pops his head out the corner. And he goes, all right, all right, Kyle, you got my money. You got my camera. I'm like, fucking stunned, man. I didn't know what to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll get you money now. So <laughs> I spent £70 of the money. Obviously, beer in that and cigarettes. I had £100 left, so I gave him the £100. I gave him the camera, and I kept the bag full of keyrings because I didn't know where to get them from. Plan's still in motion, mate. Do you know what I mean? So I kept them. 
you end up leaving. And then I'm obviously trying to explain to her what's happened. Because like, I didn't tell her that I'd robbed my boss that night. Do you know what I mean? And she's like, who the fuck is this nutcase? Do you know what I mean? Anyway, that was the last time I seen her. I woke up in the morning. I spoke to Gaz who was renting the caravan off. I said, oh, Gaz, this has happened last night. He goes, well, you owe me £80 next week because I didn't have the rent money. He's like, you owe me £80 next week or you've got to find somewhere else to go. I literally had nowhere else to go. I was like, guys, I promise you I'll get you £80 next week. So that Monday morning, I started ringing around loads of bars in Manchester and I'm like, oh, flashback media, we promote your night on the back of the key rings. Like, we'll have a photographer in your house and we sell them for £3 each and we promote your nights on our website. I promoted myself as a proper company. I didn't even have a website. I didn't even have a camera or a printer or anything. Do you know what I mean? All I had was a bag full of keyrings. I'm promoting myself and I'm ringing round loads of bars in Manchester. Every bar that I knew he didn't work at. So yeah, I, after about the 20th, I got hold of this lady. I could tell she was a bit of an elderly lady and I'm started sweet talking her on the phone and that. And then she's like, yeah, come in on Thursday and come and see us. She was interested. So that was it. I borrowed a nice shirt off my mate, made myself look smart. I took like a keyring as a sample with her logo on the back of it. I got to the club and that was it. Yeah, she was impressed. She was like, you can start tomorrow if you want. I was like, sweet. Yeah. All I had was a bag full of key rings. Do you know what I mean? So I went home straight away. I borrowed 50 quid off my mate to go and buy a printer from Comet, which is like a computer store. And I borrowed a camera off my mate. And basically I got in the afternoon, I got everything that I needed. And I started there at work that night. I had everything in this bag and I've walked in. I'm proper happy, man, because I've got like a hundred keychains in my bag. Like I'm going to make my own money tonight it was like it's not my money it was obviously my bosses but I was happy there because this is the plan that I want anyway I remember it so clearly I got set up the lady set me up in her office and I went out to do the first picture and it was a couple on the table as I took the picture they both wanted one straight away and I was like right be back in a minute went to the printer went to put the memory card in and it printed off the picture that big like a six before it didn't do the photo size, keyring size, like the passport size picture. And I'm messing around with the settings because I specifically asked when I bought the printer, I need a printer that does the passport size photos. And he was like, yeah, it's this one here. Do you know what I mean? The guy didn't have a clue what he was talking about because he didn't have that setting on the printer. So I was like, fuck. The guy, Gaz, he wants 80 pound in the morning for the caravan. Like if I don't have that 80 pound, I'm gone. Do you know what I mean? She's expecting me to work tonight. Obviously, I'm, I've got no money. I need this money. The cat scratching at the cupboard for more food. It was dire, mate. Do you know what I mean? I didn't know what else to do. Like, so I knew when I worked for my boss, I worked at another club and the owner there, she, she liked me as well. And she was like, why don't you foot your boss off and come and work for me? Like get your own equipment and you can stay in here in this club for me. I was like, so I knew if I was on a friendly term with her and I knew if I could go around to her club and she didn't know what I did the weekend before at Yates's, there's a chance that I might be able to get in her club and take the printer that I need. So that's what I did. I went around to her club and I just knocked on the door before it opened. So as soon as she answered the door, she was like, hiya, Kyle. I knew straight away. I was like, hiya, darling. I was like, uh, there's a problem with the printer at Yates's. Can I come in and grab yours and just borrow it for the night? She's like, yeah, no problem. Come in. Like, I got the printer. And as I was walking out, she was like, when you're setting up on your own anyway, I want you in here and all that. I'm like, I'm just in the process of doing it. <laughs> Walked out that door, ran straight round to the club. It was like a 15 minute run. You know what I mean? Like I sprinted, mate, got there, sweating me head off. And the, the couple that I, I was sold the two pictures to, they still sat at the table and I ran into the back room, ran into the office, slept the printer up, bam, 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 got the keychains made. Ran over to the table. I was like, sorry, darling. Sorry for that wait. I've been gone like 20 minutes. Do you know what I mean? 25 minutes. And like, oh yeah, no problem. We've got, we even bought one. Like, and that was it. <laughs> Boom. I was straight around all that club. I made like 340 pound that night. Got on that bus after the night shift and I was happy as anything. And I, like the supermarkets are open 24 hours around there. So I went straight to the supermarket, filled my fridge up, bought a full chicken for the cat. Do you know what I mean? Like, we live like kings, mate. <laughs> you and Jippo. Yeah, Just yeah. like that. Like one for Jippo, one for me. Yeah, one for just biting on it, just sucking back. Wow. Yeah, so uh, we live like kings for like four weeks. That was at like, that was at full time. That was cut off day. You had rent due the next day. You had everything was oh, on yeah. the line. You, you had 50 bucks borrowed. Yeah. You, you had nothing to your name. Yeah, well, that's it. Like I needed to do what I had to do. Like, I knew I was doing wrong. I know I shouldn't have done it. I hold my hands up. I paid for it. But basically, yeah, so then weekends have gone by and 
eventually bought more stock and I'm selling more and more keychains as the weekends are going where'd, on. Where'd you end up finding the keychains at? Where, where eBay. did you get them from? Oh, eBay, really? yeah. yeah. Buy them off eBay or yeah. something. You know? So that's where he was getting them from. Yeah, and then yeah. Obviously I got on a website and then there was a company selling them like dead cheap. So I ended up doing that. The fourth weekend I got there. So I knew I've obviously been caught on taking that printer because you would have sent someone round to that club. That they would have turned around and gone, where's the printer? Like, uh, and good and old Jules or what was the name? I can't remember her yeah, name. Good mate. old Jules would like, Kyle's just around here picking it up. Yeah, Kyle's <laughs> just been round and took the printer. So he'd be like, fuck, but So I knew he knows where my caravan is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like how he knows, I don't know. But I slept with a crowbar under my pillow, me and Gypsy on the bed. Like door was locked. Like, if he come round, he would have got it straight in his head. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was that desperate. No one's stopping what I'm doing. Like, and you're going to come round. Take, but I just had a feeling he wanted to catch me in the club, you know, and he never did come round to the caravan. So anyway, I'm, I'm still going. Like, I knew I was going to get caught, but I just kept on getting as much money in as I could because the money that I was saving, I was saving for a house, a deposit to move into a house and obviously buy more printers and more cameras because I wanted to get more clubs because I wanted to emulate what he was doing. That's what I wanted to do. The fourth weekend I got there, the managers come in and said, oh, we've got, I started packing up and setting up the printer. And he's like, oh, we're using this room tonight. You've got to set up in this other room. Downstairs in the club, it's like a two-story club. So downstairs in the basement, there's one door in and one door out. And as soon as I come through that door, I heard the doors locked behind me. And I turned around and my boss is stood there with three other guys, like meatheads, bald scar on the face and that, do you know what I mean? Like gangster-looking type guys. And, uh, all I remember saying is I was desperate, do you know what I mean? And this guy just jumped out and banged me, man, cleaned me out in the corner, stamped all over me. I took it, man, you know what I mean? Like, I know what I did. You had it. to. I had yeah. to, man. Like, there's no sorry. There's no, look, this is what this has deserved. He was not in his right mind if you, he did not do that to you. Oh, you know, mate, switch if, shoes. If someone did that to you right now, you'd be doing exactly the same thing, wouldn't mate, you? And I've got a feeling it's probably going to happen, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Knowing nah. my luck, knowing nah, my you, luck. You've paid your dues, it's paid. But it's different. But that is, that's paying your dues, isn't yeah. it? Like, so. I'll tell you what, though. I walked in that club with like a big smile on my face. Are you ladies? You all right? And then, yeah, they knew what and was I coming. Come, I come walking out with an empty bag and a fat lip and a black eye. I got on that bus. As soon as I got on that bus to go home, I cried my eyes out, mate, all the way home. Yeah. I've not cried like a baby like that for a long time. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But Because it had built up over them weeks and weeks of just emotional roller coaster, like of what I went through. How old were you then? I was 21. Wow. So you're still trying to figure it out. I was 21 or 22. Oh. Yeah. So yeah, I just got on that bus, mate, cried my eyes out all the way home. By that point, I saved a thousand pound and that was it. After that weekend, I bought myself a printer. I went on eBay, bought the printer that I actually needed, bought all the equipment that was actually mine. And I went to the estate agent and got into a two-bedroom house and within a year I'd grown the business to doing big festivals, big raves. I was all over the country. I was doing all sorts of clubs everywhere. I was taking as much work as I could. I was taking my mates with me. We were all jumping in the car, going across the Pennines to Leeds or something to a club and we'd stay there for the night. Do you know what I mean? And Pretty much like, like selling crack, wouldn't it? Yeah, but I'm selling plastic, man. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. I mean? like, Same thing, like get your mates together, let's go, we're going working for the weekend in the club, except it's legal. I lived a good life for that three years it lasted and I was basically the only person doing events at that time. Like obviously you could buy a keychain, but in a nightclub, but I was catering to the events. Like yeah. there's a lot of house events over there and bounce events. And so I was doing all the events with their logo on the back and they loved me and then like, eventually just people was messaging me can you come and do my event can you come and do mine so and at that point i built it up to where i bought five printers and was doing big massive raves like thousands and thousands of people and i'd have a stall set up i'd have my mates working and i didn't work i just sat back getting off my head and collecting in money do you know what i mean and that's what i did man what was the best sellers like raves which one? Was it the pissed guys or was it the people who were jacked up on gear? Anything like, it was so easy over there. There's a lot of older people that go raving. So they have what they call bowlers raves and it's all the acid house raves like from the early 90s. All the yeah. Italian like, piano music and all that. And when we turn up at the raves, I'm 21 and there's like 40 year old guys there and they're like, I was back here in 1991 and they're off the reds like reliving the youth. And they were so easy to sell to, do you know? They didn't care. Yeah, they'd take it. Yeah. I'll have 10 of the same photo. With these bowlers nights, I was making a grand in a night. 
as someone's mum's wage. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and I was making a grand. So what happened? How did it all roll up? How did I don't understand? Like, if it's purring along, if it's patting along, if things are going good, what happened? I had a friend who um, I got involved with doing it, and he kind of got jealous, I think. And he cause he had a girlfriend who was a dancer at these raves. I just remember getting a phone call from bowlers saying, oh, uh, we've been told you've been selling drugs in there. and You're kidding. Because I used to pay a percentage of what I'd make. And obviously they've offered more because he was doing it as well. And yeah, I just eventually, and then I just thought I'd never been abroad before. And I'd, I got to 25 and I'd always wanted to get abroad. I'd lost my house through stupid shit. I was growing weed in the bedroom and guys had come round and took my weed and come round with balaclavas and machetes and beat me up and took everything and uh, things just started unraveling and at that point I was like I want to go abroad and do it because I knew I could do it every day in Spain instead of waiting for the weekends all the time so that's what I eventually did yeah I just got my money together booked a flight went on my own took my printer took my camera and went to Magaluf and that was it first day walked down the strip just started pitching loads of bars oh, can I sell keychains in there oh yeah come back tonight and then eventually got hold of one bar and said, uh, come and speak to the owner who's here tonight. And I've gone downstairs, Spanish guy full of gold, all gold shades, big fat guy, like couldn't speak a word of English. And I've gone and sat in his office and I'm like, oh, you want to sell these in here? Like, I'll give you a percentage of what I make. And that he was like, how many are you going to sell and all this? Like, I'm like, well, I'll, I'll keep a tally. of. I've come all this way, mate. I'm not here to rip anybody off. Do you know what I mean? I ripped him right off, mate. <laughs> Yeah. Ah, he got a little bit of chicken dinner, didn't he? Yeah, he got a little bit, but not as much as I said I'd give him. Do you know what I, All right. Yeah. Sounds like a tax man to me. Ninety <laughs> percent of people are doing that. So every day I was working in that nightclub, I was selling him at five euro piece. And we also started selling six by four photographs as well. So yeah, I was doubling up. Doubling up. So how'd you end up out here? Where did Australia come into it? What happened? So I was in Magaluf for six months. I'm in the time of my life, like literally the best time of my life. Everything that I've ever been through led up to this moment. I'm absolutely living my life right now. I'm banging birds every fucking day. Like the unit that I was living in was right next to the nightclub. It was so easy. I made, I've never seen so much money. Like I'm earning money every night, never took a night off. I'm pissed every night as well for free. I'm getting free beers from the bar. And then from then on, the season was ending there. So we went to Ibiza. And we went to Tenerife. In the winter, Tenerife is pretty busy because it's still warm. It's just off the coast of Africa. I lived out there for um, probably about two months and I got into a bar there and the guy who owned the bar, he was from Manchester. So when I approached him straight away, I'm in there, started working every night there. And I went back to England to get some more stock. I was sleeping at a friend's house. And when I woke up in the morning, I could feel my legs and my feet were like jelly like rubber and I couldn't coordinate my legs properly and I started getting pins and needles in my hands and my feet. I didn't think nothing of it and my mate was turning up to take me to the airport to go back to Tenerife. So I got in his car and I knew there was something not right but I just wanted to get to Tenerife and when I got off the plane I got a taxi to my unit. I woke up in the morning and I was literally paralyzed. I was, body was dead. They thought I'd had a stroke so they took me to the hospital and it took him about two days to find out what was wrong with me. And I had Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is basically a life-threatening condition. And 80% of people that get it don't ever actually walk again. Yeah, so I was in the hospital. I couldn't remember what day it was. Couldn't tell you what month it was. Like I was so disorientated. I was in there for quite a while. And the guy who owned the nightclub, George, because he was from Manchester, he was looking after me, bringing stuff to the hospital and that. He was the only person there. I wasn't speaking to my mum at the time. Obviously, none of my family I'm speaking to, so none of them knew what was going on. Basically, I had to learn how to walk again. It took me about two months to actually properly walk again. People who get Guillain-Barre syndrome, they either don't ever walk again or they walk with a crutch or a walking aid or something like that or basically die. But it's a life-threatening condition and I was probably the lucky 20% that pulled through. And from then on, obviously, I couldn't go through therapy like, physiotherapy or anything because I weren't entitled to it in Spain and I couldn't really go back to work again so I had no choice but to go back to England and just sort my head out just recuperate ever since then I never felt like whatever drugs they give me in that hospital must have done something to my body chemically because 
it took all my confidence and I never felt the same person again. Do you know what I mean? And it took a while. I'd say it took two years for me to actually fully recover from everything. Like, Wow. But yeah. So back in England. Back in England. Back to square one. I haven't got any gear. I haven't got a camera. I didn't even feel like going into a nightclub and take pictures anymore. I just didn't have it in me anymore. And I didn't know what to do. So I was back on the dole, back at mum's house. What happened then? Took a job. Oh, yeah. So uh, my friend phones me up one day and I'm just on the way to the job centre to go and sign on. And he's like, oh, what are you doing today? Well, I'm not doing anything. And he's like, uh, do you want to come and help me with a job? Because he works for his dad and it's cleaning out houses. And oh, So you did take a job? Yeah. just for a day he's yeah. like listen I'll give you 20 pound or something do you know what I mean he's like I've got some weed as well and we'll smoke some weed while you know what I mean I, yeah, I'm, yeah, like, yeah. I'm just on my way to the job centre mate he was like I'll take you there and like once you signed on we'll go right to this house yeah there's 20 bucks I was like fuck it I'm not doing anything do you know what I mean I'll come and do it now if you tell me that I've got the free will to rummage around someone's house when they're not there do you know what I mean like and all the shit because he's basically everything in this house needed to be cleaned up thrown into a skip outside ready for the council to come in and start doing work on it and then move the next tenant in because they had a contract with the council. So I was like, yeah, hell yeah, man. I want to see what's in this house. Do you know what I mean? So I've gone and signed on. He's picked me up, took me to the house and he's like, yeah, it's an old lady that's died in the house. She's got no friends or family to collect her belongings. So everything in the house, we have to just box up, bag up and just throw it. Anything that you find, you can keep. It's just one of them. I felt bad because it's someone who's died in there and she haven't got any friends or family. But on the other hand, my brain's telling me there's something valuable in the house and I'm going to fucking find it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Back at that, this is what I need to do stage. You yeah, know? so I'm yeah. thinking there's a watch in there or there's like a fucking a necklace that's worth fucking thousands. Do you know what I mean? I'm yeah. going to find it. So I've gone in there. We've put our boiler suits on. We've gone in there, black bags. And then I couldn't believe because she lived in this living room and it's like a Victorian house. So it's tiny, like half the size of this room here. We started bagging up all the rubbish on the floor. And as I'm going through the floor and newspapers, papers, old black and white pictures of a youth and the family and that, and I'm looking at him and I just didn't have the heart to throw him out. As much as I can be a cunt, I just didn't want to fucking throw him. So I collected all the black and white pictures and it meant nothing to me, but I was taking them with me. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. I weren't throwing him out. So I left him on the side. I'm looking through. She had like a set of chest of drawers. She had a wardrobe. And she had like a, just one single chair in the corner. You could tell it used to be cream or something, but it was black. Do you know what I mean? She'd been sat in it that long. And then in the other corner of the room, there was like an old black and white TV. It was one of them TVs where you had to turn the dial to what? And it was covered in dust, mate. Look, I could not been turned on in years. And obviously there's just rubbish everywhere. I couldn't believe she lived like this and she weren't getting upstairs because the whole upstairs was empty. And in the kitchen, there was just a mop bucket. And it was just full of shit and piss. Like she'd been shitting and pissing in this mop bucket and throwing it out into the garden. I felt bad. I really did feel bad that day. But anyway, I'm starting clearing up. What a way to go. That's fucking... She'd been dead in the house a while and someone had obviously not seen her and broke into the house and found her. The council had been in, removed a body from the house. My mate's gone upstairs to have a look upstairs and there was a wardrobe. So I've opened up the wardrobe and it's just full of like old ladies' cardigans and clothes, like all slumped at the bottom. Nothing's hung up. So I closed that. I went to the drawers next to the wardrobe. And as soon as I opened up the first drawer, there was an envelope that fat looking at me full of money. And it was like all 20 pound notes. Straight away, I was like, oh, get down here now. Like to my mate. And he's like, come running down the stairs. He's like, knew I found something. He's like, what is it? What is it? I said, what the fuck's that? He was like, where have you got that from? I was like, I've just found it in this drawer here. He was like, right, is there anything more? So we're like looking through the drawer and there's nothing else. It was just all full of shit. I can't even think what was in there. It's like old mobile phones, watches and just like shit, man. So I've closed that drawer and I was like, what's in the other drawer? And I've opened up the other drawer and there was just a big black bin liner, like a rubbish bag in there. And was like, that's a bit weird. Do you know what I mean? I went to pull it and it was pretty heavy. And I was like, what the hell is this? So we both pulled at it and we brought it out and we threw it on the floor and it was just like when you get a thousand pound from the bank in England it comes in a plastic wallet and it was just scattered everywhere like I knew every wallet was a thousand pounds you know what I mean and it was just loads of it all scattered on the floor so I turned to my mate me and mate we're both looking at each other like this and I just seen him instantly go white I've never seen anybody go white in my life like he went pale mate and we're just stunned for a second and we're like how much do you reckon's here 
I said, I don't know. I reckon there's like 30 grand here, mate. He goes, I reckon there's more. I went, fuck. I was like, we're in here, Louis. I was like, I think we've been set up, mate. Someone set us up. And he's like, mate, he's like, we've not been set up. He said, the only people that know this money's here is me, you, and Herman. She's dead. Fuck, <laughs> oh, mate. I was like, right, so we're both scuttling around and we're closing the curtains on the house and we're locking the door and like panicking, do you know what I mean? I was like, what should we do? Like, So anyway, we got half of the money in a mop bucket, half of the money in a vacuum cleaner and we had to carry it out to the van and we just chucked it in the back of the van, clean the house as quick as, as good as we could. I'm spending it in my head, do you know what I mean? I've got no money, like, yeah, so we both jumped in the van. I was like, where should we go and count it? I was like, oh, we should go and count it at my mum's house because she's at work till four. And he couldn't go back to his house because his missus is there with full on pregnant and kid and that. So we went to my mum's house and we got in the bedroom and we're just like, we're there for hours, mate, counting 20 after 20 after 20 after 20 and like piles of money on my bed, piles of money all over my floor. There were old 50 pound notes in that bag as well. The old 50 pound notes went out of circulation two years before. So that money must have been there for at least two years. The money was like brown around the edges. It had a musky smell to it as well, like a moldy old woman smell, do you know what I mean? But, wow. Yeah, so we counted it, we counted it, and I was like, I turned around to my mate, I was like, are we splitting it 50-50 before you even said anything? He went, yeah, hell yeah. He was like, I wouldn't have found that if it weren't for you or whatever. He was like, yeah, 50-50. I was like, sweet. I went, how much have you got? And he told me, and I went, oh, I've got this 64,000 pound we had in that bag. Fuck. Oh, yeah, man. That's intense. What about that journey? I was in there with you, just standing like, I, was, I just went, what? When you said he went, what? I was just standing there going, ah, that stuff movies are made out of. That was the biggest rush of my life. That day, I went to Manchester, uh, I went to town, and I went shopping because I'm like, I've been wearing the same trainers all year. Do you know what I mean? And the clothes weren't fitting me anymore and they had holes in them and like, I was like, right. What, what did you have in your pocket before that day? How much? How much cash? I had the bus fare to get to the dole office to sign on. I signed on that day. Little did I know it would be the last day that I'd ever sign on. Like, Man. But I went to town that day and the first thing I spent that money on was all the homeless people that are on the street. And I just went round. I was like, yeah, mate. Giving them like 20s and, that. and they were like, they didn't want to say. I was like, take it. It's free. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I was just, I spent it on all the homeless people and then I went shopping for myself. So you murdered four people. Hey. Cause they, they just went and got a heroin overdose and died. And that's <laughs> Mate, your fault. I now. couldn't <laughs> give a fuck. If you bought that on crack, I couldn't care less. Do you know what I mean? It'd be the best crack pipe you've ever smoked yeah. in your life. Do you know what I mean? XOXO, Cole, love us. Man, wow. So yeah, I went shopping that day and uh, obviously my mum knows I've been to the doll and she, by the time that I've come home, it was late at night. She's on the kitchen table, sipping a, a, a bottle of wine. She knows what kind of clothes I usually wear. Well, I come in looking fresh as anything, all these shopping bags and that. And I come in the house and I was like, all right, ma'am. You know? She was like, who the fuck have you robbed? Yeah. <laughs> went, she started stressing. I'm going to jail. He's going to jail. I'm not, yeah. Yeah, well, she was sat there with her husband as well. My stepdad, he's like, oh, it's something to do with drugs. It's got to be. I'm like, well, <laughs> thanks for the judgment. Do you know what I mean? I was like, it ain't nothing to do with drugs. And I haven't fucking robbed anyone. And I told him the story that I've just told you. And she went, I don't believe you. I went, I'll go and get the fucking money then. And I went upstairs and I pulled the money out, threw it on the kitchen table. And she was like, fucking hell, I've never seen that kind of money in her life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. From then on, I was like, right, I'm going to go somewhere. Like, cause obviously I'd had a taste of Spain. I knew if I stuck around there with that money, it wouldn't last long. All my mates are into taking drugs and just partying, like living for the yeah. weekend. And I did, I got wrapped in it for a couple of weeks. Do you know what I mean? And my mate was like, what are you doing? You need to fucking go, do you know what I mean? Get yeah. on that plane and go somewhere. Otherwise, it's gone and you're back to square one again. And that's what I did. I, I got the money. Summer Bay popped into your head. Yeah. Beaches. Oh, man, away. Yeah. I'm like, fuck. Blonde Aussie chicks. Yeah. Tanned up. I actually had a friend who lived in Perth and he was the one who said, why don't you fucking come over here? So that's what I did. Jumped on a plane, Perth first. Best movie I ever made because as soon as I got here, the first thing I did when I got here, I went out around the nightclubs and I noticed where's all the fucking people that are selling the pictures. And then that was it. Like ever since that day, I was like, I can fucking do it here. No one's doing it. Do you know what I'm doing? And it took you a while though. So this is how we met. I'll jump into this story. 
give Kyle a break on the mic. <laughs> I'm running my construction business, you know, same thing, just finished up footy, building a team and uh, I get this call, I've got an ad out for a painter and I get this call from Kyle, didn't know Kyle at the moment, he pommy bastard, he's like, yeah, all right, mate, yeah, I'm painter, no dramas, put him on up here, put him on a job, I was based at the Gold Coast here at the moment, had him working at the Sunshine Coast and a couple of days in, one of my foremans gives me a call and goes, hey, this new painter you got on what's, what's he doing and i was like oh, you know he's just trying out he's just doing the thing he'll look after that side of things you just stay on the render side of things he goes no 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 he's sleeping out the front of the job and i was like what give him a buzz i said mate what are you doing he's like oh yeah look i just come up from the gold coast i took this job well, up you, here nah, you actually turned up on that friday the first day i That's met you right, yeah, yeah. You, you turned up and you come over to me and he was like oh are you Kyle? And I was like, yeah you're matt and he was like yeah he's like what are you doing sleeping in your car yeah, one of the boys said hey you're like, oh, I'm actually driving up instead of driving up from the Gold Coast because this was at the time just after the GFC, there was fucking no work. You know, we were doing whatever we had to do. A lot of builders were recovering. A lot of trades were recovering. Everything. It was just a bit of a shit fight. So there was no work on the Goldie. 95% of people were working out in the mine towns, Moranbar, Mackay, you know, that, to fly in, fly out. It was mayhem. But anyway, so I got him. I sent him around to old man Menion's house. I said, righto. This will be the telling tale with him if he's a good bloke or he's a shit cunt. Uh, yeah, said, Marky, uh, he'll know. He said, my dad likes German bears. If you take a couple of German bears around, you can get a shower and get your head down. Yeah. I was like, fucking hell, mate. What a fucking godsend. Like, yeah. I've been baffing on the beach and that. Like, It was round in the corner. What was it? It was round in the corner into winter too. It wasn't, yeah, it was in that middle because I remember I moved dad down the Gold Coast. In, yeah, because I, I come to the Gold Coast in March. Yes. May. Yeah, time. it would have been May of nearly now, nearly this time that year. Anyway, he's down there. And then you end up working with us and, and you know, we become a mates for a couple of years later. Little did I know he knew nothing about painting. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, doing what needed to be done. But I guess like you didn't have that visa. You didn't have what needed to happen at the time. You're over here on that sort of couple of years sort of visa. So like setting up in a club and doing all that is different in Spain and whatnot. You got to jump through some hoops here. You yeah. need ABNs. You need to be able to do this and blah, 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 well, blah. When I come here, it's um, obviously skill wise, I'm very limited. Like, because back home, I sold drugs and I sold keyrings and I was on the dole and I didn't really have a trade or a skill or anything. Like, yeah. I am a handy guy. I can build shit. I know that. Like, and I knew I was confident enough to just lag someone and go onto a building site and say, yeah, I can do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So everything that I looked at and every job that I looked at, like carpentry, I was like, I'm turning up with no tools and like putting someone's deck together. Do you know what I mean? Like I just give everything a go. Everything that I come across, I was like, yeah, I can do that. So this is how, yeah, we met. You end up on your merry journey, but every day I remember like you're working and you go, Maddie, I've just got, I've just got to do this. Maddie, I've got this idea. Maddie, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like thinking in my head, because I've been here in Australia, I've never seen anything like that before. I was like, Damn, whatever, mate. No one's buying key rings. No one's doing that. No one's doing flat, like whatever. Like, yeah. Might work for one weekend. It's not working. Lo and behold, moving on years after that, pounding on doors again, going to the nightclubs, bashing on everything within the Gold Coast here. It took it like, I don't know how many knows. I called in a few contacts for you. Like, what about this idea? Put them on there. Like, once you explained to me and showed me what actually happened, I was like, man, this thing could be huge here. Like, there's nothing in Australia like this. Anyway, your perseverance and, and once again, just that happy mentality of getting out there and going after it, foot in the door of which club here on the Gold Coast? What was the first one? So like you were saying before, it's like I'm trying to explain it to you and I explain it to people over here that have never seen it. Even my own girlfriend, she was like, who buys pictures? Like we've got social media and everyone's got a camera on the phone. Like you don't get it though. It's not the point. People are buying it for the memory, you know, to yeah. keep on the keys or the car keys or anything like and I've seen it work. Like I've come from a place where it's very popular. Every nightclub you go into, there's always someone there trying to sell you a picture. Even in like European countries as well, in some European countries, it's really popular. So I know it works. Like, and I just know like there's no different to over here. If anything, it's better because we've got so many travelers and backpackers and, and yeah. people coming in and out. And that memory that they want to take home. And yeah. it's a physical memory. It's something like you said, you pick up your keys, it's there. Yeah. You wake up in the morning. That memory's there. It's yeah. not like we create memories now on our phones, on our social media and that, but it's like, ah, oh, quick, well, let's get a photo. I guarantee you, nine times out of 10, you'll never look at that photo again. Yeah. How many photos or cameras have got, especially chicks ones, has got 
10,000 photos within their, you know, iCloud storage or whatever it is, but they have not gone back and looked at it once or they have not scrolled through their Instagram or wherever they've put it out there. It's what's prevalent in your face today. And then that's it. I still get messages off my mates back home. They found in the shoebox the keychain. They're like, oh, do you remember that night? It's like, they've still got it after all them years. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like one of them things they're going to look back when they're older and they'll be like, they'll always remember that night because it'll have the name of the club on the back of the keychain. And that go- club might not exist anymore. Yeah. It's gone. Like half of them would be like growing up. I think we had the best time. Shout out to 240V on yeah. the Sunshine Coast. But that den and those memories that were made there for, you know, the three to four years that was open before it was knocked down, something that you'll never yeah. see again. Obviously, um, that plan's always been in the back of my head to do it. And I've been here seven years now. That's a story on its own. We should talk, like, not only did, was this a journey, being painting and, and get your skill and your trade, but even staying here in Australia is well, huge. I needed to know as soon as I was there, like, how do I get to stay here? Because I didn't want to go home as soon as I got here. There was just no way I was going home. I, I was either going to be on the run from the government. I'll do it the legit way. Basically, I needed a trade or a skill, and that's what I did. I got myself a, a trade, which is, painting is the easiest thing that I could think of. Yeah. I thought I could paint, you know what I mean? How hard can it be? But I learned the quick way, like there is a certain way to fucking paint things. Mm. I went through like five painting and decorating jobs. It all sacked me on the first day. I think it was the long, the only one that kept me on, do you know what I mean? I'm watching videos on YouTube, how to paint a door frame and how to paint a door properly. And eventually I got my sponsorship to stay here. That fell through because the company went bust. And I had to go on a student visa as a renderer. And that's how we ended up getting back into it. And I ended up coming back working for you. There was that time as well. I remember when it, but when Basque was through the GFC and I've lost everything twice before. Back yeah. to square one as well. Exactly the same, yeah. which is why I resonate with your story. Living back at Mold Man Minions, 20 bucks in my name and a, and a thousand dollar work you And going, all right, let's start again. But that, um, I remember after that company went bankrupt, so I couldn't sponsor you. But the one that did went bankrupt and you're like, shit. And it's like touch or go again. And I remember us going in and you ringing me going, look, I need X amount of dollars in my bank account. I need this to be able to show this statement. And then we need to put everything together. Yeah, get- it was $20,000 I needed to show in, in my bank statement. I obviously, I, I didn't even ask you, do you know, I think you'd phone me up just off the, oh, what you up to? Like, and I was like, oh, my, like, my fucking head's falling off here. <laughs> I, I'm fucking trying to, I have, this is what I have to do. And he was like, well, how much do you need? And I was like, I need this much. Do you know what I mean? And he was like, straight away, straight to the bank. Do you know what I mean? Draw yeah, it but it was that touch and get, because I knew I was getting paid Thursday and I knew the boys payday was Friday. Yeah. So I knew we had this window of, okay, we can get it out Thursday, but it's got to be back in my account by the morning so I can do the boys pays. And yeah, I think yeah. it was like, Everything I had, it was like 15 grand or 14 grand or something. You rustled together the other six from somewhere. We've gone in and you needed that certificate of paper. You've deposited the cash, put it in the bank. I said to the bank, all right, I need this bank certificate of statement. They've gone, yeah, no worries. Printed it out, give it to you. She actually printed me two copies off. Um, yeah. When I went back to the count, I should have gone to a different bank, but yeah. I went back to the count and then she come over and she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm driving the money back out. And she said, you can't do that. I wasn't, what? She said, cause that's fraud. And I was like, I need the money. Like I'm going buying a car and that. Do you know what I mean? Like basically ended up taking the money out and she was like, can I have that bank certificate back? And I give her one back, but I still had the other one. I don't know why she printed two off. Do you know what I mean? But I give her one back and I kept the other one and eventually got your money out of the bank and then got around the corner. I was yeah, like, fucking hell. I was beating, mate. Oh. Right. Because I, I said that. I said, if this falls through, like <laughs> my company's gone. You know, I don't have anyone showing up for work Monday either. We're in a shitload of trouble. That double print. See, moments like this, it's just taking that chance. Do I hand both back? Doing what needs to be done. Yeah, yeah. You know, sure, whatever. There's one in the back. That got your next basically six months or your next extended stay. I needed to get that student visa because obviously my girlfriend's a nurse and she needed to go on a nursing course, which didn't start until the next year. And she had to go to Sydney for three months. So we needed that student visa just to buy her some more time so she could go and do that course. These are the moments, but it's all panned out now. So you eventually got your stay citizenship or what, what is it? What is it that you're no, So um, obviously I've always wanted to do this photography stuff, like this media company, and I've never been able to do it because I cannot work for myself. On the sponsorship, I can't work for myself. Student visa, I was limited to 20 hours a week. Can't work for myself. And now I'm on a visa, which I'm on a skilled visa with my girlfriend. And that allows me to basically 
make my own company you know, yeah. and do, IBN, do, do my own thing. So as soon as that come through, that was it. I was already shopping around for photo printers, cameras, everything that I needed. And then away you so went. as soon as that happened, I was away. And now it's just prevalent. Like you just, same thing. Aussies are so hard. You have to go like this with Aussies. Knock, 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 poke, poke, prod. Well, so, da, I've blah. tried it all. Like, I've, I've messaged, emailed, been round to offices, knocking on doors. Wrote letters. And it eventually got to that point where, do you know what? I'm just going in the club and I'm just going to set up and do it on my own. Like, and just like, and wait till someone asks what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what I did. I did it at the Avenue in Surfers and I just turned up on the Tuesday night. They had like a Spanish night on there. I was like, I'm getting in this fucking place. Do you know what I mean? And I just turned up with, I was like, pitched the guy whose event it was there. And then I said, look, I can do it right now. I can just set up the printer. And he was like, well, go for it. Do you know what I mean? I went and did it. And the managers come over and he's like, what are you doing? Like, I've got an FPOS machine out and I'm making sales in the club. And uh, <laughs> he's like, what are you doing? He's like, I can't let you do that in here. He's like, I have to ask the owner. Do you know what I mean? I was like, fair enough. Give me the email to the owner and I'll email him myself. I emailed him and ended up getting into that. He didn't really want it because he already had a photographer in there and the venue's dead small. So he said to me, he said, I've had this photographer for six years. He said, if anything, it's one or the other, do you know? He said, I can't have you both in here taking pictures and that. So I put him in a situation where he liked the idea and he loved it because he, he turned to me the next day, give me a trial for the Friday night and I sold 68 in there or something. And I told him the next day and he was like, do you know what? I'm sold on the idea. He was like, do you know why, Kyle? And I went, why? And he went, because my wife's girlfriend's from Scotland when she seen it, she said, I've got one of them from 20 years ago. I've still got it. Do you know what I mean? Pulled and he, it out. And he was sold on the idea, but I put him in that situation where he didn't want to fuck off his photographer yeah. for six years. So he ended up blanking me in the end. That was it. I just ended up knocking on the other doors and I'm literally like on your toes, mate. I'm not taking no for an answer. I want to get in this club. Like Darren is operational manager from England and he runs a few of the clubs there. And at first he said no. And I said, look, mate, I said, I'm not taking no for an answer. I've come a long way. You don't know what I've been through to get here to this point. Like this has been seven years in the making. You've got to let me fucking do it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like there's a no way I'm leaving here. I'm just going to keep harassing you every weekend. And he's like, oh God. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then just, yeah. Just panned but, out, eh? But it proved out to be a good thing. Oh man. Wow. Well, uh, just checking this out. But um, I honestly, honestly, it's just, the journey that you just took us on there and all those stories building up to what you've got now and what you're building now, self-destruction is the only way you fail. Taking that foot off the pedal, easing down into it, going, all right, I've made it. But if not, you know, you're already in festivals. You're already doing all of the two that you just did. There was the electric one and the, the one at the Goldie oh, was so Parklands. And- a few of the festivals that we work with is Lunar Electric, Promised Land, Splendor in the Grass. We've just done Juicy Fest. There's a few others in the pipeline. My main focus is all the nightclubs in, in surfers and in Brisbane as well. They're the ones that I'm trying to get hold of. Yeah, minute. getting your bread and butter, getting the right people, the um, right staff, right photography and all that. Mate, I can't wish you any more of the best. And I hope people like latch onto this story and latch onto what you're doing. And not only that, I believe that Flashback will eventually like transition. I mean, you've already got your second stage, which is the... What's the, the 360 cameras as oh, well? Yeah, so we have a, I have a couple of 360 video booths as well that we hire out to events. We also charge people per person to go on it. And I have them based in some of the nightclubs and surfers at the minute. Yeah. Anything new that comes out with media and everything like that, content creation and, and whatnot, it's going to be on your toes. And being first in here in Australia, you're the number one and most prevalent flashback media company within that night scene and that nightclub scene. So, yeah, yeah. mate, I can't wish you all the best. And The vision that I'm having is like, I'm living that vision that I've fought for the past seven years. Every time I go out around the nightclubs in the past, I'm like, I could smash it in here. I could smash it. I've been itching to do it. I've been itching to do it because obviously visa reasons, I've not been able to do it. And now yeah. I'm able to do it. I'm just going to give it a thousand percent. Once I've took over surfers, I'm taking over Brisbane as well. Mate. Well done, mate. Thank you so much for sharing that story. <laughs> I tell you, I've got all fluffy inside. And all, uh, don't know what I want to do, but um, you can buy Kyle's stuff everywhere. You can get walk through surface. You'll see his cameraman and all his staff out there doing it. You'll see him at festivals. Go buy a piece of your memory. Go grab a piece if you, if you see him. And you know, if you've got a venue out there as well, or there's something that you want to be doing within your club, I mean, you guys provide all the content for him as well. This is basically a service for nothing. Yeah, so it's free for the venues. It doesn't cost anything. 
we promote the venues on our products and Release it's, just a, it's just a win-win for everybody, do you know? Yeah. Free content, free advertising, yeah. wake up in the morning, the yeah. day after, mate. I mean, we're in seven venues at the minute in Surfers. That's seven employees. Uh, it's only going to get bigger. Yeah, that's it. All right, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Give us a like, share, subscribe, share with your family and friends. You can find <laughs> us on all the good podcast channels, Apple Podcasts, of course, Spotify. And if you want to watch a little bit of content of me and Kyle, jump on our YouTube channel. All the stations are at Any Given Chance or at Any Given Chance Podcast. And like I said, we're up to episode, I think you're episode 18 or 19. Oh, yeah. So 100 episode goal, and then we're going to restructure and go again. But we're going to get Kyle back on in uh, you know six months and see where what's going on and what's prevalent. So Yeah, man. There it is. Thanks heaps. You. Yo. Wow. That was the Any Given Chance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Now, if you want to see some more action, head over to our socials and give us a like, share, and subscribe. We're on YouTube at the Any Given Chance Podcast and on Instagram and TikTok at Any Given Chance. And if you can hit share and subscribe, we much appreciate it as we grow. Plus, we're always looking for new guests. So if you know someone in the midst of a battling, good little bit of adversity or someone who's been successful, message us direct. We always check out inbox. And of course, if you want to check out old episodes, repurposed ones, you can jump over to our website, which is anygivenchancepodcast.org. Thanks for joining us once again. I'm your host, 3AM365, Matty Menion. No days off. No excuses. And I can't wait to catch you on the next one.